Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Four Jack Podcast. On today's show, we have Director of Golf for Rolling Hills Country Club, Mr. Derek Lane. Rolling Hills Country Club was established in 1965 in Los Angeles' South Bay, but was completely redone in 2018 with a spectacular golf course designed by David McClay Kidd and a practice facility that is rivaled by very few. Derek talks about his arrival at the club and how his experience in ultra-high-end clubs has helped elevate the club into what is becoming LA's coolest country club. Unbelievable guy. So without any further ado, let's get into our conversation with Derek Lane. Cheers. Welcome to the 4Jack Podcast. Welcome back to the 4Jack Podcast, brought to you by Jackson Labs. Another fun one tonight, as usual, but uh, just chat about a couple things tonight with a very special guest down in LA, but before we get to that, we're just going to say hello to the fellas as usual. Tombo, what's happening? Not too much, bud. Yeah, when I googled this golf course, I realized it's only an hour and a half away from me right now, so I was about to drive on out there. And then I started taking a look at our guest's Instagram, and I was like, wait a minute. He's in Manhattan Beach right now. Son of a bitch, eh? Well, we can find out exactly where he is in a sec, but before we do that, Parks, what's going on, dude? Not much, man. Long day at the office. Happy to be on the pod tonight. This is a very special guest. This man is a wonderful, wonderful human being. Is just very instrumental. instrumental in the private club scene down in LA, Southern California was my sort of introduction into golf in the U S and private club setting and, and super excited to get into it with him tonight. So pleasure to have him on. How about that shirt he's wearing too? Just a little (laughs) side note. I love that Pulp Fiction (laughs) reference. There you go. Uh, Speaking of said guest, we have the director of golf down at Rolling Hills country club, a home of uh, possibly the coolest practice facility maybe in the country right now and also a course designed by none other than a guy that may have changed the way golf resorts are in north america mr david mcclay kid uh today we have Derek lane director of golf at rolling hills how are you i'm good thank you thanks for having me it's our pleasure dude by the way the minnesota thing now hearing all the accents i feel like i'm really truly home for the first time in about 15 years. <laughs> so i'm all <laughs> on this there you go. Yeah, a little Canadian influence in the in the podcast. You're looking you're looking very LA ish, man. You got a tan going on. You got the hair going on. I like this. If you're here, live the life, right? Absolutely. So it up. I mean, it's a little better than what we're dealing with, but uh... like I said, every year at this time, I could be home. I could be, uh, you know, watching the uh, the hockey teams and watching football. And and it's like, no, I'm really good with the whole beach scene in LA and <laughs> Southern California. I'm really, really okay with it all. I always love when people are like, man, you know, the heat, I just, I'm not a big fan of it. I'm like, "Mm, maybe take yourself away from the cold for a little bit and just see how it feels because it's a lot easier to get used to plus 40 than it is minus 40. You're talking to one that has (laughs) issues with the heat. I I took in four or three and a half Phoenix summers and four months of 105 plus. Like that's too much for me. I'm baking alive out there in that weather. (laughs) I I I don't plug my car in. In the middle of winter, so I'm good. Everything's good. Yeah, Amen to that. I got a silly cue story for you. So my first year down in the desert, I remember I had some buddies come down to visit, 
And literally there was probably eight of us standing in the house and I had to get up early for a Sandy loop at the queue. So I get up in the morning, no shirt on board shorts, walk out to my car and flip flops, start my car and go back in the house. And the guys are looking at me. They're like, are you kidding me right now? What did you just do? I'm like, I started my car. It's cold outside. They're like, man, you went out in board shorts and flip flops, no shirt on to start your car. I was like, man, it's cold in the desert in the summertime, you know? Man, that was the rule of thumb in Sydney. If it's 25 or below, that's like sweater weather. Like, it's cold. I mean, come on. You got to well, get, get used to it. I try to explain the hoodie shorts things, and it still doesn't catch out here. No matter how hard I try, it's still going to be part of my life, but nobody gets it. There you go. It's my favorite. Uh, before we dive into too much about uh, your past, Derek, I want to really talk about Rolling Hills. I mean, this is a new club that you were kind of mentioning before the show in LA and crazy facility. But the thing I want to target like right now is that, is that practice facility. It is like, it's my dream. Like that's everything (laughs) I want in golf. Just to go out there, not even play, just have all the equipment, have all these greens that I can practice on and all this space. Like just tell us a little bit about this facility and then we'll move deeper into the golf course. Well, I mean, for me, it started with that. And, you know, we actually kind of created from upstart, we got USC. So USC now plays out of Rolling Hills. So that was kind of the whole thing is I fell in love with a little bit of the way the golf course looked. It has a very David Kidd feel to it for those with Bandon and Mammoth and a lot of the, uh, and Gamble and a lot of the things that are, you know, on his resume. But for me, the practice facility was such a concrete part of why I came because instructionally on the back, we've got this amazing academy that's state of the art with Sam's and it's got TrackMan, and it's got all of the upgrades. And then I go to the front and I'm 18 wide on three tiers to nine target greens. And the greens are actually modeled after famous UK, UK greens. So I've got a Redan and I've got a roll green and I've got things that if we ever decide to make it a short course, we can also do that. And then you take an acre putting green, you know, very similar to the vibe at Bandon, and it's got all these tiers and all these big drops, and it's got this kind of crazy thing. And then you throw in the fact that it's lit up with 54 lights, and we have drinks delivered. We have that whole thought process of, hey, let's make this kind of an L.A. thing. And then on top of that, you've got a practice facility, another putting green, and a complete leveled out instructional green that's got all of these different grades and pitches for teaching with string lines and all this other stuff. And it's like – I'm one of these guys. So like, you know, we haven't announced this to the world, but we just signed a deal. We're going to have us open sectionals. So we'll be the last voice going to the U S open next year. And I can't wait for the, that world to see what it is we have. Okay. And it's been, it's been great to show it off to the peninsula in the South Bay of LA. And it's been, fab, you know, it's been fabulous on that end because it is truly unlike anything else, but I can't wait till like outside of USC and some of the people that have been there, I can't wait till they see it. Like I want to start seeing the reaction and get the data of really good players. And as we transition into, you know, I would put our greens up against anybody in the world. They were 14 and a half today. They're enormous. We have more bent grass between the sounds and the greens than almost any golf club plus another golf club in Southern California. And it's just such a whole different vibe that I'm just all in starting with that practice facility because you get the thought process of their shots, how to hit it down there's bent grass, there's Bermuda, there's bunkers, like all of the different things you're going to do. I'm telling you guys, I haven't hit a 60 degree flop in probably two and a half years unless I travel. So it's like, I'm chipping with a hybrid, you know, I'm putting from places that are crazy. And it's, it's such a wonderful thing because I have five different spots. I can practice that shot. That's awesome. I think the world is starting to see like how good the quality of that golf course is too. Out of some of the players, like you mentioned USC, Gabby Ruffles. I mean, she's been killing it. 
obviously yes. playing out there, she can hit every single shot, it seems. Right. You know, and it's great because you get a lot of it, and especially the ladies' U.S. team. You know, the ladies' U.S.C. team could be top 10 twice. They're so deep. I mean, they just they just grow All-Americans at that place, especially with the Rolex and the AGGA, and they could do two top 10 teams. And you throw in the guys – and transitional and then they just hired a brand new coach on the men's side and he's just like oh my god how do we not do this and it's like it's it's a little bit of validation for me because when you're in the south bay you're not in west la so you're not bel air you're not riv you're not lacc and i don't want to be i want to be completely i want to be that freak in the closet that's so different than everybody else that how do you show that golf can be played on the ground coastally without actually seeing the ocean even though it's only a couple miles away so the practice facility is is where that all starts how have your members like received i mean you have so many new members obviously because it's a new golf course but how have your members received the practice facility have you seen a lot of them just come out and be like you know what i'm not going to play golf today like i'm actually just going to go play around on the practice facility we actually had this conversation as you always are looking for revenue and you're doing different things my thought process is we could actually send a high-end private range membership and we would sell out for sure just the putty point because 20 percent of our membership i'm not so sure they know where the first tee is that's so funny you know what that's a really cool testament to the property though and i mean ideally right. down down south there that sort of has not been established yet it's really stuffy on the scene and it's not these big, wide, vast properties. So you're obviously in a, a really cool situation here to develop and make a name for it. Well, and it's also cool because who gets 80 acres in LA? Yeah. Like, think about the homes alone. Like there's 104 homes that accompany the, the site when it was developed, but it's such a minuscule aspect of what the club is. Like the homes are not, and coming from a place like Chris knows where I came from in the quarry, like the homes were set off. Like they're not, while they're a little closer at this facility because it's LA and they have to be squeezed a little bit. Like that's not the reason people are there. Like it's just not. And it's like to get this amount of land and go this expansive at this time in the world, considering down here, you know, you've real estate pushing five, 600 bucks a square foot. It's insanity knowing that we have this and as I tell everybody else, this is all about playing the come. And it, it's like 10 years from now, this is going to be a whole different situation than it is in this establishment. So I kind of wanted to be roots in and ground up and figured out from that point. And that's kind of the process. So like last year, we estimated about 1.6, 1.65 million range balls were hit. Okay, so wow. we've got Pro V1s, the whole nine yards. That's not even counting short game facility stuff. So the usage rate is a little different at our facility. It's not that country club kind of quiet sleep. Like that's not at all. Like you arrive in the morning, you can work out, you can have breakfast, you can play paddle, you can play tennis, you can hit golf balls, you can play golf, you can swim, you can then go to the to the private facility and massage. You live your life from arriving to departing. And that was the attraction to me. So on my end from the golf ops, it's like, okay, range, short game, Hills, putting course, instruction, golf course. Like, okay, I've got everything covered. I hired and we did the right thing. And now we're completely based in this thought process of how can we expedite anybody's experience to the point where we become the standard. And that's the fun part of all of this. Mm -hmm. Don't forget about the pool. Yeah, trust me. And again, there you go. Matt, you've got an adult pool. You've got a kid's side. You've got Olympic pool size, and everything looks due north at the LA skyscrapers and the, and, the, and the skyline. So it was all done really well. And in today's world, and, and again, I'm a little biased, but in today's golf world, 
really well done is not something that is equated to today's world. That was what we would have done in the early 2000s or past iterations of golf courses, you know, back when, when, when Colt and all of the other guys were doing their great Pine Valleys and you had McDonald and you had Rainer and then, you, you know, kind of transitioned into all of these things where we ended up with Fazio kind of being the standard and, and all of these things. Now, Core Crenshaw and David Kidd are taking it in a different route, you know, take Sheeps and all the thing at Bannon or Mammoth, you know, in Wisconsin. It's like the minimalization of it all is so L.A. that it's it's hard for people. They don't even know it's L.A. yet. And I don't mean that to be hard. It's just like it's so minimalistic in its thought process. And then the facility is so over the top. It's like sweet and savory. It's just no other way to explain it. It's like, I can't wait to see how it kind of matriculates down through everything else. Well, I think it, the way you kind of foreshadowed earlier on when you said about the template greens that you have on the range, if you want to turn it into a short course, LA doesn't even know what that vibe is like yet. To have like something like the cradle at Pinehurst or the short course at Bandon, like that is, there's people going to Pinehurst and be like, yeah, the golf was fun, but like the cradle was the blast. That was the best part. And like, if you have nine template greens from some of the most famous spots in Lynx golf, yeah, man, I'd like to go there too when I could play in barefoot. It's 90 degrees and I can have drinks delivered out to me. That sounds great. (laughs) That's the whole point, you know, and it's funny because I had Akbar down from Seamus when we first opened and he did the coins. We did a whole medallion and the whole thing. And he was just like, I can't fathom that this is real. Like, you know, if you took the Portland where I'm from and you know, we're trying to do this. And then you know, obviously in San Diego, you've got these places. And, and it's like, I understand all of that. And he said it best. And again, I love the country club life because here it just kind of, it's, it's a vibe of what you want. And you said it from the beginning and your tone's yours. My end is the service, the member services. But like Akbar said, this is kind of like not really country club. Like this is a resort for really, yeah, really. It well. doesn't sound like country clubby. Yeah, like it, it's obviously there's a vibe to it, but it sounds more like it. I, again, I'd say it, it sounds vibey. It doesn't yeah, sound country clubby. Perfect. And you know what? The more we are okay with that, the better it's going to get. As long as we don't pigeonhole ourselves, force ourselves into all of these things, and just continue with the asset that is the golf course. So, if the golf course continues to push the greens at 13 to 14, and the surrounds stay perfect, and we have this great Bermuda base, you know what? Let it go dormant in the winter. It's still going to be a great golf course because the bent's going to thrive. Mm-hmm. Let it get a little soft in the summer, run them at 11 and a half and 12 because everything else around the periphery is going to look amazing. Like just let it be, put the money into the asset and let the club grow into what it's going to grow into. And that's the awesome part because when we opened, we went from an average age of 71, we're now 58 trending to 54. Imagine not only getting 80 acres, but imagine trending 16 to 20 years younger in less than five years. It's crazy. I, don't, yeah. I, I this, just don't know how to explain it. This is kind of like when we talked to Dave Zibrick. You remember Zibby? He he actually came down to the queue. He's a head pro at Point Grey up here, and that's the kind of setting they're trying to establish. This, it's not so much of this like exclusive vibe anymore. It's like inclusive. Let's bring everybody to the property. Let's give everybody something to do. Let's keep the money here. Let's keep the revenue here, and make sure we you know take care of all their needs. But at the same capacity, are you ready for the amount of business that you're going to see over the next five to ten years? I think so because we have one great thing. We can close the gates. Ah, mm-hmm. So if you have gates, the hard part is, is the thought process to be inclusive, to have a vibe, to have an idea, to have a long range plan. And anybody knows me that they hear the, the initials LRP. That's my life. What's our one to two, three to five, six to 10 long-term. Like, what are we doing? What's our irrigation? What's our green schedule? What are we going to do? So we know where to put CapEx. What's our facility rundown? How are we going to do this? Then you know what? 
close the goddamn gates because you've paid a lot of money to get in. I don't have to feel guilty because once you're in, it's your world. I just don't want you in unless you paid. And that's that line you can't cross. And it's not to be stuffy. It's not to be elitist. I just don't want you in the gates unless you put the money down, you pay the monthlies, you're the one that gets the service. And once those gates close, Shangri-La, have your way at it. I don't care. I just don't want you in there unless you paid for it. And that's how we're trying to kind of vibe that out. And that's such a, I mean, I don't take, mean to take like a negative route with this, but like that is kind of something that a lot of people within the golf world almost want to like shun. You know, yes. they're like, oh no, you know, a country club, you know, we can open the gate for dinner and we can do this. And they want to try and get rid of that exclusivity. And it's like, hey man, there's a reason why this thing exists. Like this is what it's for. And if you're creating a vibe for your members, go for it. But right. just and pay the dues. It's private. It's the members. Yeah. You have to pay for the service. So imagine a high-end place in Nashville or LA and it's a bar and you want, you want your seat, right? You paid this, it's two grand a month. You want to be able to bring any guest you want, but you want your table. It's the same thing here. You want your tea time. You've paid for it. As long as you paid for it, that's it. We'll vet you. We'll do the right thing. If you're a good fit for the club you're in, you pay the monthlies. The monthlies make my life easy. And let's go. But I don't have any problem with the gates. So one of the things that you know that I do with the member services is I've got the locker room. I will have the gatehouse when it transitions from the developers. It's all about how you present that arrival and the departure and the time when you're in there. Just make sure you know who's coming and going. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such a huge part of country club life. It's not, not to be elitist. It's not to be stuffy. It's to be protected. These people want yeah, their lives, sure. captains of commerce. Let them have their lives and feel like they can put their hair down and there's no issues. That's yeah. the whole part of it. It's their spot for sure. So let's talk quickly about pre-COVID, post-COVID. I think, Chris, what you were touching on is there was a little bit of a situation where, oh, my God, clubs are starting to decline. The age majority is going up and up and up. How do we inject youth? Well, let's open the doors. Let's drop our member share price. Let's try and do a dinner night and get people out to the club so they can at least see it. And now post-COVID, as you were mentioning, Derek, it's like, whoa, wait a minute here. I'm trying to create this environment for my members and look after them, and I don't need the rest of this extra stuff coming in because we're looked after. Correct. And, you know, as we talked about earlier, I'm in a different world because COVID and the pandemic has actually saved private club golf because you can come to our facility. You can do all the things I mentioned earlier and it's yours. You don't have to do anything else. You don't have to worry about anybody else. You don't have to think about it. You're still respectful with masks. You do the right thing. Excuse me, but it's all coming down to the same point where it's your facility. And I think that the private club world has a lot of growth. Uh, I think there's a huge, but it's different. You know, you take the greatest, the greatest generation, and I was part of it at the quarry, in that money was literally monopoly money. Mm -hmm. Private jets were everywhere, nothing, 14, 15 clubs, like nobody cared. Business has paid for it. We kind of ebbed and flowed with it. We'll never see a time like 01 to 07. Like it was just forever like that you couldn't run out of it people were just making it in their basement no big deal we're good we're bad and then obviously a weight hit and the world changed and you really had to look at that thought process and i was in one of the wealthiest areas in golf and i was part of it and you started to see okay you don't really need a first assistant in the summer eh, you know what? you don't need a professional in the summer but you know what you as the director of golf can pull carts in the summer <laughs> and then suddenly you're doing all these things because they had to sell their houses and these were third and fourth homes to people. And suddenly those Thursday to Sunday private jet trips stopped and you had to kind of reinvent yourself. And 
we all went through that. And it's kind of the same way now where it's like, okay, that greatest generation where they got married at the club, they had weddings at the club, they had Christmas parties, they had funerals, they had bar mitzvahs, they had everything. Now people might run down to the restaurant down the street, have a martini and a pizza in jeans and think that's a better way for their night. So how do you reinvent yourself to keep them on property? How do you keep those people to be interested in what it is? And I think that the club and the, and the plan where I'm at was a really big part of that because they did that. They now figured out how to receive golfers off of 18 and not get them to their car and head down to the local hotspot. And believe me, when you're this close to Redondo and Hermosa and Manhattan Beach, there's, there's a billion of them. So I get it. And I really, really applaud the club for the thought process of, how do we get them, keep them, make sure they stay, and dinner and all of the things that go with it? And that's where it's really changed for us is because if you're not all-inclusive, I think you're really going to lose. I really do. I think the days of just the golf club is long, long gone, unless it's a really amazing facility in the fact that it's a golf course, like a Clear Creek in Tahoe or Pine Valley, obviously, is the ultimate in the one that we all talk about. But golf clubs are different because you've got to have memberships at other places. Everybody's got to have a country club if they're golf people and they have a lot of money and they're at the level we're at. But if you're part of that, you can still afford a golf club as well. Go to the desert, travel to Utah, head up to Coeur d'Alene, those things, that's fine. But you still need home base. I just want to be these people's home base. Yeah, the way I look at it is kind of like, there's relativity is a big word here. Because if you have a ton of money, one of the things you said that really jumped out at me was just knowing who's coming, right? And like, they're paying a lot of money to have the club know that they're coming and serve them in a way that delights their experience, right? Like, you know, Mr. Jones, he just put his clubs out, leave them, his bucket of balls is ready for him. He just goes out and does his thing, right? Whereas like some people may be into the more golf excursion type thing and that's totally fine, which is where like there needs to be different options. So someone that's kind of, I live in the South Bay, I'm interested in golf, okay, there's this cool practice facility that's there. COVID is a real thing. I'd like to get some time outside. Maybe golf is what I need to pick up, right? Take the kids to the pool, do those sorts of things. So it's like, there's different ways to skin a cat, I guess. But like having this option out there is is absolutely beautiful for the people down there. I love the South Bay. Spent a ridiculous amount of time out there. Looked at Trump National International Golf Club a couple of times and would only love to see what this place is all about. But that's my take. Yeah, and it, it's special. And, and Parksy would tell you the same thing. It's like the greatest thing that I learned at the quarry is, is that you were called through the gate. And when you arrived, we knew your stuff was staged. You were greeted. It was a special way to say, hey, it's your facility and we're happy you're here. That's not something I think that's such an LA thing, but it's something I would like to bring to it. So for me, it's just more about presentation. It's what I live with. Um, you know, anticipation and presentation are all I have. And if we present that the clubs are out, you know, if it's front to back or back to front, how they like their bag, you know what you're going to want as far as a wet towel, not wet towel, you know, if they want water, double water, you know, if they're going to go in and get a cocktail, if they're going to get some sort of Gatorade, you might be able to preempt that and get ahead of it. Suddenly, as time goes on, again, in the world of data, it's which, we're, which is where exactly where we live, the more data I have, the better my presentation. And then again, the anticipation becomes the key to what I do. And that's the whole thing with the South Bay. It's like, this is new. The hill is aged and it's changing. The beach is young and it's growing. So it's like, take your poison, figure out what you're going to do. Both have a right to their thought process. I just have to meet in the middle and make sure everybody feels like they're being taken care of. 
I think all those things that you're trying to mentor that you're trying to implement as well, like those are all bonuses. Those are great add-ons to have. But what benefits you guys like so much that I you kind of mentioned this earlier that COVID kind of saved country clubs. I think it temporarily saved them, in my opinion, because they're course only for the right. most part. It it really saved public golf. It it exploded public golf. But for a course like you guys, you have infrastructure that no other place has. And if you can provide that, like the short course, like that practice facility and a golf course that's, you know, to, to be desired, that's the infrastructure you need. Where if everything else that you do, that's a great add-on. That's the best possible add-on you can have. And I think just, I want to see this place turn into a short, that your range turn into a short course so bad just because I want to go play it. Like the idea of it is so thrilling to me like and i'm sure that you will see when it changes to that that like the talk and we talk about this so much that yeah people don't have time to play 18 holes of golf they would love to go play nine holes on a short course though they got an hour and a half two hours sure then you start to see it and then you got a putting green where people like i said like you said are bringing drinks up they can play at night holy now you have something more for them that's infrastructure that no country clubs have yeah, and, and if I had my way, trust me, if I had a place that had their area, I would build six, six, and six, and I would make six of par threes, and I would make six of, of kind of executive, and then I'd make six of the raddest holes ever made, yeah. and I would let them figure out what they want to do, and if they toured six, if they toured 12, I think that golf is trending exactly that way. Throw a beer pub in the parking lot, let dogs have some palm, have bags, do all that stuff, and I think it would never end, and I think that that's where it's going, and you know, listen, I've worked at some of the highest end private clubs, you know, in the, this part of the world and it's great, but I'm not sure that's the trend, even though that's my favorite. And I have no issue throwing on the cactus and putting on a Navy shirt, being a conservative guy. I have no problem with it, <laughs> but I just don't think in LA that's where it's trending. And I no. think that you'll always have your LA's and ribs. And believe me, Mr. Yamaki at Riviera is my hero. He's one of my favorite people in golf. I love him. He's been great to me. And I would love to have the authority to run a facility like that, like he does, but I don't. And I don't think anybody around here ever will. And God bless him. He does it better than anyone. And you take that for what it's going to be. And then you've got LACC having the open and it's going to change. And, you know, Bel Air went through an entire course redo and they're different and they went a little bit more of the minimalistic way. And, and I don't think that's coincidence. And I think that that's where it's trending. And I think there's so much difference in, in what we do that I think the day of the old, you know, V-neck cashmere and white shirt, I just think as, as much as I love that history, I don't see the West Coast, which is all I know anymore. I just don't see it going in that direction. I see it going to where we're going, which is availability, exclusivity, and presentation. And I think that's what's going to happen. Well, and sustainability. So I guess in, in retrospect, this club is very fortunate to have a guy like you because you've seen everything from every sort of angle and you know what works and you know what resonates with the members and you know how to develop that that youthful injection. So kudos to you, Derek. I think you're in a great space. We're going to shift gears here, though. Let's get into Derek Layton, the golfer, and let's take us – why don't you take our listeners all the way back to your introduction to golf and how you got involved with the game? Well, I was lucky. I was raised in the cornfields of Minnesota. I was right kind of in the one part of Minnesota that doesn't skate. So everybody where I came from wrestled. And you do that part of it and you either go to Iowa, Iowa State, or Minnesota. So I grew up with really humble but hardworking human beings. And my father would probably fall under that category. And he was a, a wonderful athlete. 
Allstate in uh, in some sports growing up. And then he actually played college football and got stepped on in the eye back when they didn't wear face masks. And so <laughs> he ended up with partial vision loss in one eye. And because of that, he played baseball in the military. And so that was his outlet. So he played in this baseball team across Europe, did this stuff. So my parents were over there. They came back. Uh, my father had a concrete company that was his father-in-law's. They worked there. I grew up in the, in the world of concrete. That's how I was allowed to do what I did. We belonged to the local club. And when my dad gave up competitive fast pitch softball and some of these other things and slow pitch softball, he needed an outlet. Golf became it. So my brother was eight. I was 10. And we just spent every day growing into that. That's how we did it Saturday and Sunday mornings. We were early morning people. Um, you know, you're up early concrete. So phone would ring at 5.30. This is long before cell phones. You had that whole house phone thing where it would wake <laughs> oh the entire God. house up at, at 5.30 in the morning. So it's like that's just part of life. So we would be the first ones out. We'd go out at 6.30. We'd play and we'd just spin and spin and spin until we were done. And then my brother and I just kind of were hooked. And, you know, honestly, we were very fortunate to have great parents. And if we were if we were assholes, let's be honest, we had to go pour concrete. We had to do the things that you hated. And we were good people and said yes, no, and told my mom she looked great in that dress and said hello <laughs> to Mr. Jones. You know what I got to do? I got to have a ham and cheese sandwich and play nine, nine whole rounds on a, on a Thursday. Nice. So I learned quickly that if you weren't a jerk, you probably had a pretty good chance at success. And I think that's the one thing that I thank my parents for. It's like, oh, okay, you uh, you didn't do very well and you might've got caught drinking beer at 15. Let's, let's shovel concrete for a week. And it's like, no, I don't really ever want to do that again. That's oh. not what, what, a, what a tough punishment. It's like you either get the mid-sun pour or you get the late, <laughs> late evening pour. Up Correct. to you. It's Early like, morning is fine. Ends. It's like, Dad, can this be the last truck? No, no, I think we can fit in one more. It's, only it's like, hey, man, like, can I just float this one and be like the finisher? No, I don't think so. <laughs> so you learned early. And then from that point, I fell in love with it. My brother's a much better player than I am. My brother was a college All-American at a, at a good D2 school in Minnesota. and was a really good player, still a good plus three to the day. Um, but to me, it was always about the organization. It was the, I fell in love with the facilities. I wanted to run them. I wanted to plan the trips. I wanted to take care of the golfers. I wanted to do all the things that that kind of came with, I guess the way I would say it with the thought process of being big picture. And I went to college, was a history major, was thinking I was going to be kind of this cool ass history professor. I'd play golf in the summer. Like it sounds like a pretty good vibe, right? Then I figured I'm not smart enough to do that. So then I got into statistics and I was like, okay, I can't pass statistics too. So I think I'm going to be a golf professional. And so I left after my junior year of school, moved to San Diego, went to the golf academy at the point where they were still only taking about 50 people per semester. There was still a little bit of fun in it long before it became kind of a strip mall school. It was, it was a wonderful experience. I had some great people in my life that are still in the industry. Loved that. Went through it. Had a great job as a cart guy at Torrey Pines. That was kind of my first experience into that. So we got to play the North a lot before it was redone. Once in a while, you got on the South. And then I moved back to Minneapolis. And, you know, I had three kind of different jobs. I started small town private. Then I went to kind of upscale private. Then I went to Uber private. Uh, and then when I was at the Uber private, I was kind of the director of instruction slash assistant golf professional there. And then that's when the quarry called in 01 and said, hey, we need a first assistant. So for five years of my life, I had this great high-end private club in Minneapolis called Woodhill, and then I had the quarry uh, during the winter. So, you know, working 300, 310 days a year, didn't care. Thought it was the best deal in the world. Loved it. You had yeah. no idea that, you know, you get Mondays off. Who cares? Just let's do this. 
Yeah. I remember Minnesota at six thirty to ten. You guys know better than anybody. Yeah. Like that's not like the like the, I work. I got to the desert. I'm like seven thirty to four is a shift. Like, yeah, that's it. Yeah, and I'm like done. I'm never yeah. leaving. This is easy. This is bankers' hours at the golf Copy course. That like it was just so simple to be like that's all I got. <laughs> Who was the head and, pro when you started the queue, Derek? Uh, so George Van Balkenberg was the director of golf, and then Tony Gill was the HP. Uh, I would have been considered the first assistant. Then Josh Black, of all things, was the second assistant. Yeah, Josh. And that's kind of when we were still doing our thing. And then 05, um, Tony left, took a job up north. And then they moved me up, and I moved to the desert full-time. And then two years later was the DOG at the Q through 2014. Yeah. And that is the not-so-exciting history of one Derek Lang. I think it's pretty exciting. That was that was kind of Cole's notes. Let's let's deep dive a little bit here, Derek. You have some accolades we need to touch on. There's, there's a huge involvement and investment on your end with Ping. So talk us through your relationship with Ping. So it's funny. It's it's like now where I'm at to where I was. But in 42 years of my life, I'd never played another golf club. So I was never that. Hey, look at the small little forge. Let's make the game as hard as humanly possible. <laughs> that never made sense to me. Like you I just, want to be the player with the nice bag of sticks. Come on, I could care less. <laughs> I was the idiot that had every I two club and copper, trying to save up for the G Luma shaft, and I had like nine golf clubs down my reverse carried LA ping <laughs> bag. Because you had to be that guy. So you had like, desert, desert colors. It's like <laughs> I was that douche. Like that was how I was the guy. Yeah. And the problem was I was like the third best guy in every foursome I was in. So like it made no sense. <laughs> but I didn't care about forged. It didn't mean anything to me. Like the minute there was metal woods, I played metal woods. Like I get percentage beautiful. I have two sets still to the day, but it's like, no, bigger was better. Yeah. And so I fell in love with that. I never played anything else. Went from I2s. And then I went to what I love the I fives. And then I got to the quarry and with ping, it was this great deal. Cause there's this amazing sales rep. Called, his name was Perry Brewster. And we just had this great partnership. And over time we just built this kind of great little fitting system. Cause I always believed in the desert. If you could fit somebody, especially most of them, which were not scratch golfers, if I could get the ball in the air, if you could do some things. Ping just allowed me to do some fun things. Like you could talk about ball flights, you could change things because of lie angles and things that a lot of people didn't really play with. And you really think about what it is we were doing. It's like you could really show with ball flight, but this is long before track, about how to change this. Okay, I'll give you this club. It's going to kind of turn the other way, but it's probably going to be a little lower. And then people were mesmerized with the ball fitting. Like they just didn't understand with the club fitting how the ball would change. And then suddenly we just had this great connection with Ping and we sold and sold and sold. And then I was given some great awards and you kind of moved forward into that. And it was awesome for me because it was so great to have a company that was privately owned, not publicly, who would just invest in club professionals. And I give Ping a lot of credit and to the, the growth of who I was as an instructor. I give him a lot of credit to who I was as a golf professional because I kind of took on that, that whole thought process where it was never about the fast fix. It was always about what was right for the ball flight. You know what? If it was a G something or it was an I something, it didn't matter to me. It's like, where did the ball go? And one of the great things that I truly appreciate about the people that have been my clients with kind of the uber wealthy and, and private clubs is they don't really care about anything other than performance. And the one thing that captains of commerce, to use that phrase again, have taught me is it's like it's all about the end result. And I just thought at that time, Ping got us there. This was long before Ping kind of got into the blueprint and the 210s and all of the kind of what I'm going to call pretty clubs. Back when it was just about getting the ball up, keeping it in the air, Pro V1s were just starting. And it was like, 
they kind of found first, it was all about that. Callaway and TaylorMade were all about iron, or excuse me, all about woods and about trying to figure it all out. With us, it was it was an iron company. And I thought that was the biggest benefit to us. Every lie at the quarry was perfect, so that wasn't a problem. So you could get the shovel underneath, and it was just awesome. I, I give them all the credit. It was such a huge part of the growth of where I am now. Yeah, that's funny. I, I was a ping guy for a while. I had the package, and I was like, I, I, I remember saying this to Tom, like I grew up playing golf with Tom, and I like the one year I had that package, I was like, I might be a pin guy for the rest of my life. I'm like, this is the most comfortable set of clubs I've ever hit. Thank, or unfortunately, it lasted two years, and I had to give that set back. <laughs> never gone back since, but I still have a couple. You know, they're good. I love a little it. longer than my time with ping. I spent uh, afternoon at the at the ping facility there in Scottsdale. <laughs> uh, got the fitting. Didn't end up getting the clubs, but yeah, they hit real nice. That gold putter yeah. room too. Ooh. Yeah, the vault is pretty special. Well, again, yeah. so I give him credit. It's not where I'm now, but it was such a huge part of it. I think you awesome. could. I got to say, you only scratched the surface. You won multiple awards with ping and stuff like that. So you're you're very humble, and I appreciate that. So nobody cares. They're in a Clark, club. See, why don't you list them off? Right? What is? <laughs> you got to be humble. You got them in front well, of you. I just wrote them down on my arm here. So <laughs> yeah, I got no, I just them on my chest. Just like the vault, it's in some closet somewhere. It's, it's just, yeah, it but was I mean, awesome for me because you're right. We we got a lot of exposure. We got a lot of pub and, you know, at a club like the quarry, we didn't really at that time, which is way different. We didn't really want any publicity. We wanted one, which is to be in the top 100 list, find your place there and just let it be. And, you know, there's something to be said in life about that thought process of not searching out and, you know, getting too aggressive on everything and just letting it come to you and figuring out what your niche is. And, and we did that. And, I, and that's exactly what I was paying. So yes, to be considered one of the best fitters and to win a lot of those awards was fantastic. And it benefited the golf club, but it was always about the quarry for me. It was always about, they got the award. And, and while it was great to have my name on it, I would have never been who I was without the place that I was working in, you know, in every one of these podcasts I've done and all the things I say the same thing every time golf professional beers, two things. If your key card works, to get into the gate, your golf professional of the year. And if your contract's renewed, your golf professional of the year. Other than that, there isn't a single award to me that means anything other unless it was for the people that I work with. All right. So we'll, we'll get away from your your humble <laughs> brags because I know you have a, lot, a list of them, as Parksy is saying here. But we'll <laughs> get back go. to what's important to you, like your club right now, which I, I want to I come see. When that border opens, I don't care what you say. I'm coming through the gate. I'll bust right through right. <laughs> but, yeah. I, i've let worse in we're good okay perfect yeah i, I swear i'll dress appropriately well he gave me a job once upon a time so <laughs> yeah. exactly. we, we, won't, about, we won't deep dive on that can we talk about like how that was obviously how it was received around town but like kind of dealing with david mcclay kid i mean this guy like was literally part of something that really changed golf I mean, nobody really expected him to even get the contract to design Bandon, but when he did, it's like now he's huge. And what was that like when you're like, oh, so kids doing this golf course? Like, okay, so we got something wild here. Right. And you know what? When I found out um, that I was coming up, that he did it, I knew the aesthetics were going to be great. The way I would say this is, is David comes from a groundskeeping superintendent type family. Mm -hmm. I am the antithesis of that because I'm the club professional. So you have this thought process of David puts out this amazing product, but David is used to people walking with caddies that are not repeat golfers. This was his first foray into private club with cart paths with repetitive golfers, 
having to figure out how the golf club works and settles into that thought process. So when we go play Bandon, for those of us that played it early, the course is no longer there. The original hardness, the, the, the Norman-like brutality of the original Bandon is long gone because David and Mike realized that the easier, that's not fair, the more fun the golf course is, the more repetitive business one gets. Mm -hmm. So now you then transform 20 years later and go look at Mammoth. You can't miss a fairway. You can't really make big numbers. You can make a bunch of birdies and you don't care because you had an amazing experience. That's what Rolling Hills is. It's not the hardest golf course in the world because barring wind, you're really not going to miss a lot of fairways unless the greens and the cupping positions are in places that are super fast or really difficult. You're going to have a wonderful member experience. And I kind of tell people it's the anti-Fazio in the simple fact that it wasn't built around 12 foot cart paths. It wasn't built around this facility of push up kind of exquisite, always going away from hillsides and making things look all separate. It was the opposite. It was this kind of, hey, we're all in this mush together. We're going to split fairways. We're going to do this, but we're going to have the same result that Tom did is you're going to love the experience and you're going to get good bounces. And you guys all know whether you play Gamble or Mammoth or Bandon, if you hit a shot on a DMK golf course, the farther offline it is, the better chance it is to get close to the hole, mm -hmm. which is an insane way to think about what you're doing. Like if you go to Gamble, and you go to the backside, there's the par three that you can aim almost 80 yards to the right of the flag and almost make a hole in one. We have three of those. You always play, and David was so smart about playing to the fat side of a golf course that he gives you these options, whether if you hit it A, B, or C, there's different lines you can take to get to the same place. And as a club professional, to me, the expediting of pace, the expediting of fun, but more importantly, the expediting of, of, of quality is what I have to present as a club professional at a high-end club. So for me, David and Nick did this amazing thing that they took this golf course, which was used to be kind of, you know, this way and up and down and around, down the hill to the right, and they just leveled it. And they dumped all this fill into the quarry pit, and they made this flat, wonderful, walkable golf course where you have to hit different shots. And the drier it is, the shorter it plays and the faster it plays. And in the summer when it's a little wet, you might get a little heat spell. We've got to keep a little water up. You do all of those things um, that really don't have a thought process. And it's like, okay, what's yours? Like you could look at this and hit seven different clubs into this green and still get the same result. To me, that's fantastic because while it would be fun to be a scratch and have those shots in your bag, a seven iron you and I might hit that is going to be punched might be a three wood from somebody two sets to tease up. And I don't want to lose that thought process. And one of the things that I love the most about golf course is it's playable for all levels, unless you're that guy that needs trees and green. If you're the tree lined right down the middle kind of guy, it's not going to be your club. You can go and do a couple of the clubs around because that's not what it is. And so you have to be a little bit open to it all. But I give David all the credit in the world because as somebody who was getting into his first private experience of repeat golfers with high end, shall we say, the ability to be critical yeah. at times when they're not happy, the club three years later, of course, there's going to be settling points. Some greens are going to be different. We might have to redo a couple of things from construction. It was all new. But in the end, the overall product, and what I keep saying is a six to 10 year down the road, 
I can't imagine what we're going to present knowing what we've done from year one to three. And that's where I give David and Nick the most credit because the vision of it would, could not have been easy. It just couldn't have been. You had to really look within yourself to go, how do I make that feel coastal on a hillside on the other side of the ocean? I mean, like I said, we're only two and a half miles away, but it's not ocean views. It's not banned and it doesn't have true course in Southern California. How do we grow in fescue? Five different kinds. Like all of that stuff is not easy. Look at other golf clubs in Southern California that have tried this and they've all failed. And so for us, we're going to win. And I'm, I'm really happy about that. And I think that the golf course will stand the test of time. Hence that in year three or four, we're going to have us open sectional. We're going to do some fun things. We're going to create, you know, hopefully translate into some AMs. And I want to kind of be that golf club. I want to give back to that side of it, but I want it to be a different experience. So like I remember you guys when buddy and tiger played at Newport as a Minnesotan, never seen anything like it. Never in my life had I seen Newport Country Club, right? The bounces, the thought process. And here you've got Tiger, who grew up in Southern California, playing Navy and a lot of these other golf courses, putting it in the air, having to play a different side. And this guy has a chance to beat him because the golf course is giving the same chance in a different way. And that's how I would equate it here. While we're not Newport because of the water, we have that same thought process. There's eight different ways you can play the golf course. And like when Justin Suh won the Pac-12s, he had such an advantage because the guy was banking it off hills and he was chipping it to places that people were like, what are you doing? And then it would end up six inches from the hole. And they're like, I don't get it. And he had put so much time creating his own way to play that golf course that he just beat the field. And, you know, that's kind of what I love about it. It's just different. But it sounds like kid was kind of following, kind of following the trends in a very innovative way. Because if you look at golf nowadays, the, the, the golfer that wants that tree line fairway, it's like, Hey man, you're living in the early nineties. Like that's dead. If you look at golf courses made nowadays, it is wide open. It is, it gives you many different options. It becomes more of an angle game. You look at Payne's Valley. Tiger just did this golf course. The fairways are 80, 90 yards wide. And You'll still never couldn't lose. hit the fairway. Well, yeah, when you can hit it that far. <laughs> but, like, I mean, for the average golfer, that's great. You'll never lose a ball. Like, that's what people want. They don't want to get beat up all day. They want to have some fun. But, like, hey, man, you don't put it on the right side? Yeah, you're going to have to get pretty creative to get it close, which it becomes fun then because it's not just like your same old, oh, let's hoist this seven iron up and land it on the green again in between the trees. No, no man. Let's like, be honest. Nobody goes to Ireland to play Parkland. Exactly. So for me, you take Oakmont. They took all. No, nobody has a tree addition program. No. <laughs> so that the, mem the members I, don't ask for trees to be added. Right. Like I, like a lot of these trees were memorial trees, and they're really tough to take down. I do understand that, but nobody's saying, "Hey, let's plant 500 more. Let's make." It just doesn't work. And the golf ball. Let's be honest. It goes through the wind now, and equipment is around the golf ball, and so let's enjoy the elements. But you know what isn't such a bad thing? Scores. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. People want to have fun. Just, hey, just one man's opinion. It's an you ego know, thing. Right? Low scores and fun. I don't understand linebacker golf. I, I never would. <laughs> totally. What's the, what's the membership like out there? I mean, you're down in that South Bay area. I mean, you got a lot of athletes, a lot of hockey players down in that area. I'm sure a few are dipping up there. Yeah, I mean, you get a lot of it. There's a huge Asian population um, in this part of the world because of Hyundai and obviously Honda and a lot of the Korean aspect to the club. There's a very large young beach population, a lot of guys in tech, a lot of guys 
that are part of those firms. And then you've got kind of your establishment, your business guys, your insurance agents, your accountants, your lawyers, and that part of it. So it's kind of this great mix of all different people. Um, cool. What I've noticed the most about this part of Southern California is when you're on the peninsula, which we call the hill, it's such a different way because you're not part of LA. So a lot of these guys belong to those West LA clubs. A lot of these guys get in their cars for hours upon end and go downtown LA in traffic, or they go to Century City to go to the high, the high rises but they all want to come back here to live because of the quality of life. And so the one thing that I noticed that even the old course, which was really, really kind of short and hilly and, and not something I would have been that much of a fan of, to be very honest, is they all still were part of it because they wanted to live there. And the quality of life on the hills is just stupid. The views are great. The level's great. There's not a lot of, of that kind of over-the-top quotient of people being obnoxious. People are respectful. You have your place where you can put on a coat if you want to go to a nice dinner, but you have a place where you can wear a t-shirt and get a great steak. Like it's all about what it is you want to feel. And for me, I just wanted the ability to be in shorts as much as I could. You know, I've lived a life where pants are the golf professional staple. And I get that. I do, but I hate them. And oh, so for thank me, God. <laughs> so does every other golf like, professional. Yeah. The first thing <laughs> when I got the job. I said, guys, I want to be a real person. And so I'm lucky enough to be an, a member of the golf club. I'm, I get to wear shorts when I play golf. I carry or I get a caddy expense. I want the members to see me walking. So one of the greatest things that I can tell you about Rolling Hills is 53 to 55% of the golf club walks. Sick. Wow, that's so huge for LA. 65 to 70 ride. Yeah. We have over half of our membership walks. Wow. We have a lot of the motorized push carts, the remote control. We have a lot of, we have 60 push carts that are constantly being used. We have caddies. We have this great feeling of putting it on the ground with your feet, with the ball, with everything. And to me, that thought process of being what I'm going to call the most normal PGA golf professional one can be. They allow me to play with them. They allow me to be part of their lives. They allow me to be part and a moral part of the fabric of the club, but also away from the club. And I've got friends there. I feel as though the quality of my life is as good as it could possibly be being a club professional. I'm not enslaved, even though I choose to do what I do. When I travel with them, you're never looked down upon. You're always part of that. And, and the thing that I give the most part about LA, and it was very apprehensive even when I moved up from San Diego, because who moves from San Diego to LA, right? It's always the opposite, yeah. Correct. And it's like, I will tell you, I'm included in everything. And to me, that was the, that was the selling point of the club was I was taken out to dinner by a couple of the board members. I was kind of told, hey, what are your expect air expectations? Tell me about this. Where do you want to go? Of course, I delved into a long range plan because I want to make it better. And we talked to me like, not about life, like not, excuse me, not about this, but about life. And it's like people never ask that outside of the quarry, which is, again, and I tell everybody, if you cut me open, I probably still believe the queue because so much of my formidable life was built there by people like Paul Porteous and Bill LaLiberty and Bill Morrow. And they just kind of taught me how to be around that type of, of atmosphere. But I really believe now going forward that I found home because I'm included. And I know that sounds somewhat corny, but as a professional, a lot of the time you don't want to cross that line. You it just don't. To me, it's included. And yeah. I, that's a really special. And that's kind of how I talk about the Hill. It's no matter where you go, I can go sit in a restaurant. I, People are going to say, "Hey, send you a beer, do this, and how was your day?" And they'll let you be. You're not, you're not the help for lack that, of better. That means a lot to be yeah. included, like not just to be the guy that's got to run and get a towel or whatever. Correct. You touched on Porteous real quick. Have you seen Paul? Do you still talk to Paul? Please tell me, dude. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Does he? Does he play? 
Uh, he he, he doesn't play much golf right now. Most of his life is driving cars is pretty yeah, much every day. Yeah. And so that's part of it. But there isn't a day where I don't either think about him, communicate with him, or awesome. you know, we talk pretty much weekly, if not bi-weekly, uh, depending on some of the things that's going on in his personal life. But if you ask me who shaped more of anything other than probably my parents, he would be at the top of the list. He is an absolute beauty of a human being. I just absolutely love that guy. Uh, I think Chris has a quick question, then we're going to jump into a fun little uh, game show scenario where we call a rapid fire 10. So Pays? You'll have to excuse me. There's two Tom Jacksons on my screen, so I'm not bright enough. Yeah, to no out. worries. I take over Tom. <laughs> I just hijack it. <laughs> to close off your little etiquette or your uh, dress code rules here, two things. What's your rule on hoodies? And are the boys oh. in the shop wearing shorts or pants? Uh, as far as hoodies, it's not something we really need because it's California. So Perfect. Or Minnesota, it would, I grew up playing in them, so I'm, I'm not that guy. There we go. Um, and as far as what my shop, did you say what people in the, the staff are What wearing? are the boys in the shop wearing? Or, or so the guys in the shop? We're, we're always in pants in the golf shop. And anytime okay. anybody gets to practice or play, you have the right to put shorts on to go outside. Love it. What a nice guy you are. Jeez. You might be the best uh, director of golf going right now. That, I just that's a big that. statement all, for a lot of pros. You guys are all part of this, right? So imagine if somebody would have told you that 20 years ago. If you're going to go practice and grind and play and walk, you can be in shorts. You would have said, that's worth five bucks an hour, right? Oh, man. I would have been like, so part of that. So to me, when the members, you know, again, if you're at a place where it's pants only, if you're at Monterey Peninsula or Cypress, man, put them on. I get it. But we're in Southern California. The average temperature is 74 degrees. We're encouraging pace of play. We're encouraging walking. I want to be part of that. The fastest mm -hmm. way to do that is to be normal and be part comfortable, of comfortable, right? Be with them. Yeah. And so, if you're going to be peer review and you're going to talk about it, act and dress as though you're members. Now, the pants are pressed, the shorts are pressed, the polos or collars. Are, I mean, you're still going to look as good as humanly possible. But every time outside of Tiger in those god awful shorts he wears, when you see the boys on practice days, Xander. And JT, they look good, right? Yeah. Ricky looks great. Like they're it's not disrespectful. Like they don't look bad. And again, it's comfortable. I, yeah. I know there's about 700 people from the 50s and the 60s spinning in <laughs> I got I got one last question on the dress code then. And maybe this is just something that I've noticed here. And I'm not sure if you guys do this, even with pants. Do your boys have to wear dress shoes? So it depends. It's it, dress shoes are not a real big part of Southern California. Most of my guys are sneakerheads. Yeah. When did that happen in golf? You know, you know like, when it Travis Matthew. It really did. When, when Tiger, when Tiger started the, the the trend of trying to do the Air Max thing, and yeah, he is Augusta colors, and then it was like Nike got this. Hey, let's be really smart. Let's reissue every shoe from the last twenty years with with That's rubber nice. bottoms for golf, and let's make another three billion dollars. It's not so, even so much on the golf course; it's like in the shop. It's, it, it just shocked me. I invest in the team. Let's let's be honest. I'm forty eight. Most of the people who are going to work with me are going to be thirty five or younger. Yeah. It's going to be a point, right? I don't want to be crotchety old guy that says, well, I, <laughs> I love it. I just, old man, Derek. So if you're going to be part of our team, are they clean? Are they respectful? And do they make sense? Yeah. Now, if you're rocking in with the tie dyes and they're, they're Roshis and they just, I, you know, on a member guest day, probably not. We'll probably have our loafers on, right? But if it's everyday play and you got this kick ass pair of Air Max with a great pair of, let's say, fitted pants and you're in good shape with a polo. Who are you pissing off? Awesome. I love right. that. It's like be you, but be the best version of you at least Correct. while now, you're here. 
I'm not saying other clubs in this area would be down with that, but we are. <laughs> that's the vibe we have. And I right. will pull in. And so these guys answer the phones, emails. They do everything so that I can do the administrative stuff. My biggest responsibility is to make sure they're comfortable, they have time to have lives, and they're taken care of. And if being a sneakerhead is part of that, and you know what? You can sell it to the members. I'm all in. And if it looks good on a golf professional and it's on a mannequin, so like me, I'm always in G4 whites. It's what I wear. That's how I live. And when I play, I wear 360s because they're the most comfortable shoe to walk in. I'm not a sneakerhead like my guys are. But, you know, as far as coats, when it's time to get member guests, I'll probably go a little deeper into the closet than most because that's what I like. So it all comes down to this. But even putting a coat and tie on a member guest down here seems a little odd to a lot of people because that's not what anybody else is going to do. But for me, it all comes down to the people that work with me. I want them to have an expression of who they are. And as long as it's not obtrusive to the membership or somewhat offensive, go get it. Yeah. Having good priorities, right? Like that's what it comes down to. And it's like, I'm not going to deny you a job here. If you're like the best person and you just like to wear shorts and some cool sneakers occasionally. Right. That's yeah. They treat the members. That's all it comes down to. I got the ultimate two groups to, uh, to play out of rolling here. So we're going to, do you know, John Polk is from Callaway. So Mr. Polk is now with Theragun, Uh um, Todd Howerton. So, JP was a really good friend of mine, obviously, being a master staff professional with Callaway. And he called me a couple different times for some of the account representatives who are now taking over for Theragun. So my best friend is uh, the Theragun rep here. And I just gave my staff, we just had a big dinner. Each one of them got a mini as a thank you. Nice. Love nice guy you are. So I think we bring Dr. Jason, JP, Derek, yourself, Tom. The other Tom, Chris, and myself. There's there's a couple of groups for Rolling Hills when we're down in LA. We owe John and, and Dr. J some serious golf time. So they've been uh, trust me, you with JP and, and I'll say this out loud, JP owes me. So okay, well, there you go. <laughs> we'll tell him to bring his wallet and lots of we were hyperized long before anybody carried the golf shop. And then the minute Polkus and Todd, it's like we're now completely spa, staff, and golf shop are all there, buddy. Awesome. Wow. wow. Huge yeah. investment. That's great, man. What a brand. All right, we're going for it. Rapid fire 10. Let me know when you're ready. I'm ready. I hate to ask this question because I already know the yeah, answer. But stop. There's no prefacing in lightning round, okay? Yeah. In the, what's in the bag, I'm like, Eric? Am, am I ready? Is that what he's <laughs> yeah. is he asking Paisley if he's ready too? <laughs> D-Lane, what's in the bag? Uh, so uh, everything Callaway. So yeah. I have the Maverick. I have the uh, brand new CB uh, Forged. Looks uh, so a couple of Jaws. Still have the Rogue 18-degree hybrid, and I can't get rid of the Epic Flash 3-wood, all with the beautiful orange Jordan speed shaft. Putter? Uh, putter, one-of-a-kind, Proto, San Francisco, my boy Luke Williams, Odyssey, built me this amazing uh, putter that's kind of um, modeled after a certain company that has a Del Mar model, and oh, yeah. uh, it is off the charts. High-toe, Japanese-faced, high-toe, Beautiful, fully gophered out. He did a, and it's got me. He it, did. It, it'll never leave the bag. Wow, that's impressive. We have to get a shot of that at some point. Maybe throw it up on the uh, Instagram. Uh, what kind of ball are you playing? Uh, I am a Chrome Soft X. Chrome Soft X. Okay, like that play. Are you an outfit guy, D Lane? Outfit guy? No, um, I am a Peter Millar groupie. Yeah, every day i mean you can pick my stuff up every day man i am in some sort of stone khaki five pocket i have some sort of three button mesh peter millar polo in a dark color peter millar on the side rolling hills on the left chest g4 shoes pretty much every day 
I can. I can. I'm painting. You this know picture. better than anybody. I know. Position is my world. I was gonna say. I know this. I know this exactly well. Uh, anything specific you mark your golf ball with? Yeah. So actually, I take the chevron and I draw a straight line down into the chevron, so it makes an arrow, and it's okay. always green. Mm, always like green. That. Minnesota colors. Always no, green. Original North Star colors for those of you. Oh, Dallas. Beautiful. No, Minnesota no. North Stars. Oh, Dallas. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> I was talking Madonna when he was 18 and had flow. Oh, wow. That Those luscious curly locks he oh, had. man. It was Blowing out the Jofa. Those are the heydays of the Oilers, man. Getting beat up all the time. All in. By the way, Mr. McSorley, I Oh, Marty. Oh, there you go. Uh... Are you superstitious as far as a range warm-up goes? Are you a guy that goes and you have a strategy, or you like grab a cocktail, a couple buckets, straight to the team? I'm always the same guy. I'm just trying to be a tempo guy on the range. I'm just trying to make sure I can find the face. You know, playing has just not been something I've done that much of in the last three years. So for me, it's all about tempo. It's usually a wedge, mid-iron, hybrid driver, and then whatever the first hole I'm going to play, I try to hit that hole. I try to play that hole on the range, then I hit a couple of tee shots, and I'm gone. Nice little visualization, and then you're ready to pull the trigger. In light of our good friend Dale Valelli, caddies on the PGA Tour for Mr. Abraham Answer, pride of uh, Alberta, Canada, we always like to ask our guests, what is your favorite snack at the turn? Is it a hot dog? Are you a power bar guy? Are you a straight cocktail? Pack I of cigarettes? What is it? Chicken salad in a cup with oh, I should pickles know that. and sriracha. I should know that. The best, the absolute lifeblood of being a caddy in the desert is that chicken cup, man. The chicken salad cup's where it's at. And it depends who I'm with. Uh, our halfway house is on the 11th green, 12th tee. So normally for me, uh, I am a 100% silver tequila on the rocks, uh, usually just a little sip down 12 and 13. like that play. Wow. wow. Nice. Keeping the carbs out of it, just yeah, straight to the protein. Oh Don't man, I gotta feel. I gotta tell you stories about the chicken cup that uh, they used to have at the queue and the tuna cups. Just wow, magic. Jackie um, us. <laughs> there you go. Dream foursome. I know it's cliche, but we always like to ask our guests who would you love to have the opportunity to spend some time with on the golf course. Dead well, I was lucky. I got it a lot. It was my father, my brother, and my uncle. So for nice. me, that's how I grew up. It was just the same every time. So for me, that would be the case. If you told me that it had to be that. You take any of the mention of my friends, and I've got eight of them that were about as tight as can be. You just throw any of those three in there with me. I'm good. Uh, I just – I love to play for the right reasons. And for me, like, you know, what we do most of the time we travel is especially like we're going – you know, we do a lot of Europe, a lot of UK, a lot of Scotland, Ireland, a lot of that stuff. For me, it's just about playing with a caddy, and the caddy tells you the shot to hit. If you hit it, it's a plus. If you didn't, it's a minus. I just want more pluses than minuses. So for me, it's all about trying to figure out what somebody else wants you to do with the ball on the ground, and, and I'm as happy as can be. So playing golf to me in any golf course you play is the best golf course in the world at that point. I just I don't get to play as much as I used to, but I do love to play. It's, it's the reason I'm in the business. But for me, it would always be family. Uh, would Mike Lynch be included in that conversation or no? I talked to him today. So no you, way, really? So – Lynch, he's still kind of my, my, my spiritual compass in this business because he's kind of in, for those that are curious, Lynch is a caddy at Bannon and he's the super caddy at Q. And I had two guys that were big part of my life, Matt Sanderson, who is still with me at Rolling Hills. And Lynch, he was, was just kind of my golden child. And the fact that like when I call and I try to want to get a, a, a vibe, I call him like, what are you doing at Bannon? What's the feel like? What are people wearing? What's the thought process? What do they got in their bags? 
And for me, it's just kind of that touch. There's just nobody that knows more than a caddy. And I always believe that. I, I just, I'm so lucky to still be around the program. The fact that I get to take them as part of my, my club contract. And it's, it's a huge thing, but Lynchy's my guy who's in my wedding, always will be close to me. And he just has this great kind of Minnesota, nice sense of comfort for me, but yeah, he's, he's going to be close. I like that. He's a beauty. I didn't realize he was up at Bandit. I'm going to have to bug you for his contact. We'll maybe have to snag him, snag him for the show. He's, he's the best. And so I'm, it's funny. I'm planning my uh, Jeff Simons is a close friend, and I'm planning my fiftieth in a couple of years already at Bandon, and Lynch is already part of. He's, he'll be part of that. Love it. That's awesome. Well, if you talk to him before I do, make sure you say hi to him for me, and from from the whole team here at the Four Jack. A couple more questions before we uh, end the rapid fire segment, which isn't so rapid. Um, hole in one. How many? And what was the most memorable? I only have one. I have, and it's it was at Spring Hill, one of the better golf courses in Minneapolis. 184 high high cut five one bounce in. Cool. I've had a lot nice. close, but I've only read one. And now you take that to my brother who's had ten and two on a par four. Seriously. So f him. Uh, I didn't. Nobody have that likes. Answer. Nobody likes to show oh off. I like to tell people we've got eleven in our family. Well, I've even playing on those greens that you were telling us about, where the further you hit it from the hole, actually, <laughs> the better the chance you yeah. might have a chance. A of of it. Not a lot of home ones. Like, there's no pictures on the on the scorecard. It's not a postcard, yeah. so we'll I'm go. like, I need to go play golf there because I don't hit it near the hole. So if I've got a chance, if I'm missing, that's my place. Just looking for a bounce. <laughs> I favorite golf course. Is there even a question? Have you played Augusta? I've got, I've got a few rounds there. Pine Valley is easily my favorite golf course. Today. Pine Valley, eh? Why is that? Can you explain? Like, like I, I can definitely like understand why, but being a golf course that's known as the hardest golf course in America, like, why is it your favorite? I don't think it's the hardest. I would tell you, I think Oakmont's a little harder and some of that. I just think that when you take the shot quality of the land that was given and what he did, there's it just it just gets better. So it's like. Imagine your favorite concert and then going to see 17 more of them. And that's how I explain it. You, it just, it gets better every single shot. Cool. And the only other golf course that I've ever played that is that way is County down. Um, you know, Muirfield would be right at the top of my list because it's one of my favorite places to be. Uh, but I would tell you if you had to say one golf course, and again, Augusta is my greatest experience being there a few times, but I will tell you without a doubt, the best golf course in the world is my now. Who'd you play at the, at Augusta with Q members? Uh, I was lucky enough when I, when I left Woodhill uh, the first time um, to go to the quarry, we had a couple members there and that was my going away gift was to spend a few nights there. Nice. Uh, and then I went back again when I won the um, 2018 Callaway staff professional of the year, the national award. That was one of my gifts that I went played there with Callaway, Sean Toulon and Luke and some of the Callaway brass uh, myself. And then the fitter of the year, uh, the two of us got to go with some Callaway guys. See, this is what I was trying to get into with these awards, and he's so humbly scratching <laughs> the surface on. So, but again, that, <clears> that, that was a great one. That will always be that. That was a, a great gift. And then we stayed at Sage and 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 played there. And Lollaberti, who was at Sage, was he's always yeah. been very kind. So we've been yeah. lucky. He's a beauty too. With Absolutely. Augusta, do you mind? This is maybe a myth, maybe not, but like. Say you know people that are members at Augusta. The one rule is you're never allowed to ask to go to Augusta. Otherwise, you were not going to go to Augusta. Is that true? That's, again, it, it, the, answer is yes. the answer is yes. But the problem is there's really good people in the world, too. I would tell you that the right. bigger answer is don't ask to play the Master Tees. So I found out real early that there will be members who are like, absolutely not. Then there's a few members that let you kind of go back and play a couple. 
But what I always have said that that's just not part of their experience. That's part of the week experience for the, the television. But yes, I wouldn't ask anybody if you want to play the Augusta National. I would tell people that, you know, hey, if you ever need a fourth, and there's probably ways around that. But, you know, it, like anything else, it's it's such an amazing experience to go down Magnolia Lane. It's such an incredible experience. The caddies there, the thought process. It's like all great clubs. And I'm not trying to minimize Augusta, but like you go to those great clubs, it's just that feel. And yeah. when they hear stands up in your arms, you know. I've been so blessed in my life to play most of them that I'm just so grateful and thankful for the quarry and Woodhill and the places that I've been able to be because that enabled me to go to these golf courses. But for me, it's the architecture of it all. And, you know, as you said, you always hear Augusta, it's way hillier than you think. Like when you go, when you take a left off of 10 after going down the hill and then you see where they tee off on 11 and it's like a small ski slope to get up there. Like, people don't understand how hard 11 really is because they make it look so easy. Then they brought in the right side. And it's like the, the ability with Augusta is it never looks the same because when they decide to make a change, it looks like it's always been there. So, yeah. you, you know, like when you make a change, you kind of see the tire marks. Well, that's not the case at Augusta, man. I mean, look what they did. Like I played there in the fall and the fact that that place was green a couple of weeks ago is just insane because it's brown. Like it, the, the Southeast is just coming into its Bermuda. Like it doesn't look like that. So they're magicians. God bless them. It's just one of the greatest, greatest, greatest places on earth. It's the greatest show on earth. It's funny. Essentially. It's funny that you say that, like how hard 11 is sort of cut you off the parks. Like prime example to like actually go back and watch this previous masters. Look at what Abe did on 11. Abe had like three wood in. Like that's what the average guy would have in, you know? Yeah, two forty seven or two fifty seven yeah, like, on Sunday. Well, yeah, crazy. think about those guys. All of them were short right. Yeah, because even they, the best in the world, want to be forty yards from anywhere where that whole location is. Like that's how you kind of explain it. So it's it's insanity to think what they do and how they do it. Obviously, sub airs everywhere, and they just make yeah. it so great. Wall but it world. lends itself to the excitement because thirteen and fifteen are reachable. 18 is a shoot. Like, it's just, you know, I wish the Eisenhower tree was still there. It's really tough to see that hole without that great big obstruction. But that being said, there's just no way around it. Like, you just, you can't really understand. And then when Bryson finally does what Bryson's going to do at that golf course, I'm anxious to see how they react because it's just a matter of time before somebody does what he's doing. Look what they're doing on the Europeans. Like, somebody's What do you mean? It it already happened. DJ just did it. DJ just dismantled it, set the scoring record. Why wouldn't they change it? I mean, the guy so literally I'm made it look like a to joke. See what happens when they start taking lines they didn't think about. But that being said, it, it will never truly be any. There'll be never anything like it. It's just so different. Yeah, yeah, the greatest show on earth. Final question, Derek: Your best score on or off the golf course? So the best score on the golf course is sixty-five. I've got three of them at three different places. Two of them were course records at the time, or at least tied course records. Nice All kind of old player. school, not a Ross, kind of what I would be, just fairways and greens. If it has anything to do with length, I'm probably not going to be the guy. Um, it's got to be pretty, pretty, pretty tough, and it's got to be pretty straight, so you have to kind of hit some shots. So that would be it. Those That's always been my low score at that point. And off the golf course, let's be honest, the, the greatest score of my life was at, was at 34 to be the DOGQ. I mean, as young as I was, that they trusted me with that job, and they didn't really open up the gates to anybody else and it worked out will be something. It's why I sit here. I'm so blessed to be rolling hills. I'm so great to be doing podcasts talking about golf and all the things that I do. But for me, that was really the catalyst. Woodhill was, was kind of the, 
the starting of the engine to be at such a great club with all these great connections to all the private clubs in the world. But when I got to take over the queue and really understand what it took to take care of people and hire and kind of put your imprint on other people that you work with, to me, that will always be the greatest score professionally. There you go. And you know what? A place like that still resonates with me because I continually talk about it and I'm still connected with Sandy still regularly talk to her and it just like it, it was just a very special time and a very special place and happy to be a part of it with special people like you so it's been well, uh, we got lightning in a bottle there too we, oh. we got the right time we were there at the right time of, of golf and of the financial status of america and all the things that were going into what golf was becoming with Fazio and just obscene wealth and all the things that it became and it wasn't really pretentious in the desert it wasn't that feeling like these guys had everything but they wanted you to be part of it the caddy thought process, the way we were, you know, the way they would just be voracious in consumption of golf shop merchandise. And that just probably will never be something we'll get. And the fact that I was able to be part of that was is something that it just kind of sets the tone for what I do going forward. For sure. I got to say hi from Alex and Jeff, Jeff Harrison, the man we obviously skinny too, but I never talked okay, to him anymore. I tell you, um, I'm doing a virtual for Jeff McGregor reached out. I'm going to do a virtual for the Alberta PGA in February. I'm going to do a couple different ones because I guess they're, whole show is going to be virtual so they asked me to do shooter sick wow it's yeah he's a, he, he got the uh, head pro j- job at the glendale golf club which is a bit of a disruptor situation for him because coming out of calgary a lot of friction there like who the hell is this guy but shooter's a great dude and obviously <laughs> lots so, of good stories hey, from shooter I said, and it's funny the best part about this is is they're like how much do you charge per hour i'm like i'm sorry huh My, can i can bill for this <laughs> you're like give me a minute the PJ all professional like i'm happy to help that's awesome it. man that's awesome it's nice it's nice that we're all still connected at some capacity from that world back in the day obviously shooter's a good buddy will always be but it's nice to know it comes full full circle it's well and it's the smallest big world of all and you know that's the one great thing about high-end private golf that's all i know so i, I don't know muni golf i don't know it i love it i like to play it but for me i know my target audience and i know where it's gotten me so there's no question yeah that's awesome yeah I've definitely appreciated this conversation. I appreciate your humility that you bring to such an elevated thing in life, right? Like you're dealing with the wealthy, trying to create experiences. I appreciate how you bring your humility to that aspect of it. And it sounds like Rolling Heels is in a great in great hands as far as we're concerned and look forward to coming down there and seeing <laughs> it with my own two eyes, right? I, lo- I love to show it off, but as, as Parks, you know better, I always have the same thing. You know, they, they have bag tags, I wear a name tag and as much yeah. as I'd love to be part of their lives, you can't cross that line. I signed up for this and I love what I do. So to be anything other than humble, it, again, it has, nothing would happen without their dues. You know, I couldn't win anything. I couldn't be anything. I couldn't teach. I couldn't do anything. I, I need their operational dues and their, their passion to be part of a club. And without that, I, I don't have anything. And so otherwise, I'm, you know, it's, kind of, it's like running an empty bar. It just doesn't work. So you're Derek, you got to say you're a pretty showtime guy, though, out of out of all of the landscape of professional people out there. You're a pretty special dude. So I appreciate I, that. I mean, again, you know me, I'm uncomfortable with anything like that. Because uh, yeah. I just <laughs> want to do what you guys do. I just want to be the fifth of the four jacks. I don't know how that happens. There you go. Yeah. Well, yeah. we can, we can negotiate. Way, I only see three. It seems like there's an opening. Yeah. We can, we can negotiate. We, you we might have to be Tom, out. Tom the third. Well, hey, there's already two. What the hell's the third, right? Yeah, there you go. We'll get Love you on it. the Jackson uh, Zoom account here. It'd be three. And no pop, and no yeah. we'll We're just up. abusing the Zoom relationship right now. That's okay. I, I just, the, last one, the last one of these, I did it on mine, the last one. I invited them. So. Oh, shit. Now we're, a little, we're a little bit scaled up from that. So. Yeah. <laughs>
By the way, Parksy, I love the golf professional closet right to you above your shoulder. <laughs> yeah, you know. just Roy G. Biv. That's that's very Derek Lane of you. There you go. <laughs> See, that's very Peter Millar for you. The it's very Q well done. It looks very like cute golf shop of it. I had to he move out of my office here. That. Yeah, I just moved in here, so we we got a transplant coming out to Vancouver, and I don't know if you're super familiar with Vancouver, but Vancouver is very small, condensed. Uh, condos are 600 square foot or less typically, so I uh, yeah, one of the teams coming out to to help elevate the show, so uh, gonna do a little bit of shifting around. So the office is now the bedroom is also the kitchen, potentially the bathroom. So you mean the whole Vancouver. place is just turning into a studio? That's all it is, Parks. Yeah, that's <laughs> what we're doing. Sleep there. outside in the car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's heated down there. It's fine. I feel like I'm the most excited about this right now. I can't wait till I'm like jumping on a Sunday pod with you two in the same room. Like that's going to be insane. And Derek, to give you a little bit of context, this guy's actually just uprooted out of Edmonton and moved to New York. So he's live from New York. Yeah, I've been. Yeah, it's a wild scene out here. We got the world covered. Good for you guys. Well, keep it up. It's been a lot of fun. And as again, as I listen to do these things, these are the things that I love the most. and, And it's such a great thing because it's such a different look to something that can be very stale. And I just appreciate the thought process behind people wanting to do different things. Yeah, totally. And we appreciate uh, your time jumping on with us and even talking about these things. I mean, it's it's something that everybody should listen to. And I think the idea of presenting or kind of getting rid of that stuffiness, kind of like what you're talking about and talking about like, hey, the golf is actually still pretty cool. Like we want to do something that's interesting. And I think more people really do need to hear that and kind of get rid of those stigmas around country club life normally people just have issues with things they don't understand right like that's it so it's like this is a good pill for everyone to swallow on just yeah why it it actually makes sense right like all of it when you look at it objectively it makes sense to have a place for these people to go enjoy their lives especially in the world we live today and some people are CEOs of companies that live in the South Bay and they need a place to go just like everyone. Exactly like we want the Muni track open for the people learning to play golf. And it's just keep climbing that ladder, folks. I agree. And you know what? There's so much to give. And there's just, there's never enough. You know, you can just give until your heart's content and then you give some more. And it's like, if you just continue to go through that with me, I mean, that that's the best part is when you just see people happy with product, presentation, and they feel a sense of pride, then you guys, it, it's endless from that point. The win-win, man. Your ethos is very similar to what we're trying to establish as far as building awareness, creating that inclusive, sustainable environment. So it's been fantastic talking with you, Derek. Can't thank you enough for your time. Really a pleasure. Can't wait to put this one out and get all the chirpy comments back from all the boys back in the day. We look forward to connecting with you down in LA and definitely going to bring the team from Therabody down there and take some of that Polkis money. I hear it's easy picking. So it's even, it's, it's hard to get out of that wallet. You, you're going to lose, but the pay is not his jam. <laughs> we'll he chase him down in the parking lot. Bets, you got he? the key to the gate, my friend. We can always shut that down. Copy that. There you go. Excellent, right, well, man. Thanks, thanks so much again. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it, thanks, Derek. Derek. And we'll chat with everybody next week. Have a good one. Cheers. Cheers.